we talk a lot about making disciples here, don't we? You know, that's one of the, you know, it's one of the themes that, that you continually, you, I probably say it so much that you, you probably get tired of hearing me talk about us making disciples. Well, if you get tired of it, just go ahead and get used to it because we're going to continue to talk about making disciples. As a matter of fact, our two-pronged strategy as a church is to accomplish to our two-pronged strategy that the Lord has given us to accomplish the mission that He's given us is building real relationships in order to multiply disciples. That's really as simple as it gets. I'm a simple guy, so that's the simple strategy that He's given us. Hopefully, we were able to make a start making some disciples of the children that came this past week. But I know that we were able to start building some relationships with those children and with their families. So it's a two-pronged thing, building relationships, but the focus is to make disciples. Now, we didn't just come up with that out of thin air. That wasn't just, you know, bright ideas by Pastor Jim or anything like that. No, that's what Jesus commands us as believers to do. Matter of fact, it was Jesus' last words to His disciples, last words on the face of the earth to His disciples and to us. In Matthew chapter 20, actually in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Well, that covers the relationship part because Jesus descended to become as we are. So we are to be in relationship. We are to be with people. That describes the real incarnational relationships that Jesus calls us to. But also in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That part... The first part describes the relationships that we're supposed to have. This part in Matthew chapter 28 describes what the result of those relationships or the direction of those relationships is always supposed to be pointing toward. It's always supposed to be pointing toward making and multiplying disciples. That's what we, each of us as individual believers are called to do, and that's what we corporately as a church are called to do. But we know that, don't we? I mean, we've talked about that, hopefully, we've talked about that enough that we know that. If you've been a Christian for more than 15 minutes, you probably know that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But there's a difference in knowing what to do and how to do it, isn't there? Sometimes there's a barrier there. We can all feel guilty about, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but how am I supposed to be going about it? How am I supposed to be going about making disciples? Well, that's what passages like this one, I think, are so valuable for, valuable to us for. This morning, we're we're really just going to look at a few verses. And and if you're just if you've just been reading through the book of Acts, these are kind of those verses that are easy to skip past. They're easy to just read past and and move on, because when you look at them or when you're just reading through, they can seem like really just a simple travelogue. You can read it like, well, Paul went here and then he went there and then he picked up a guy along the way and then they went and they blessed the churches. End of story, right? Well, that's why God called me to be a preacher because that's not the end of the story. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. That is That is the story. That is the story on the surface of it. But this morning we're going to look just below the surface of that. 
We're going to look just beyond that line on the map. We're going to look just below that. We're going to look at this young man named Timothy. And we're going to see how Paul took Timothy and discipled him, made a disciple, actually made a disciple-making disciple out of Timothy. I think that's going to give us an example of how we're supposed to do the same. See, if you're a believer here this morning, Jesus has called you to make disciples. And my desire is that each of us in here would fulfill our calling. I want each believer in here to find a Timothy. That's your goal. If you miss stuff in the middle of the sermon, you can know that the goal that you're supposed to have when you leave here is, I want to find a Timothy. And I want to start making a disciple. I want each of us to make a Timothy, to make a disciple-making disciple. So if we're going to do that, we probably ought to know a little bit about this fellow Timothy, know a little bit about his background and all of that. So, so that's what we're going to do. You remember, if you've been here with us, uh, if you were here with us last week when we got back into our study of the book of Acts, you remember that Paul and Barnabas had this had this tiff that they went through, a little more than a tiff. It ended up with them splitting up. But after Paul and Barnabas split up, Barnabas took John Mark and he headed to the island of Cyprus, back to the churches that they that Paul and Barnabas had planted together throughout that first missionary journey through through Cyprus. So Barnabas took John Mark that way. And then Paul took a guy named Silas, and they headed back to the churches in Galatia that they had planted in the first missionary journey. Well, they didn't go the route that they went the first time. Paul and Silas didn't go the route that they went the first time. The route that they went the first time was through the water and then coming up that way on your map. They went, this time they decided to go overland, which going overland meant that they went to the last church that they planted first, and they went back through that way. They went back through Derby and Lystra. And when they got to Lystra, they came across this young man named Timothy. I say he was a young man because really he was very young at the time. I, I love it. When I, I ran into a guy in Lowe's a couple of weeks ago, um, he must have been, I don't know, blind and couldn't see or anything, but he said, he said some, something about young man. And I said, to me, yeah. And I said, brother, you need to get your glasses fixed. And he said, well, how old are you? I said, 50. And he said, I probably do need to get my glasses fixed then. <laughs> but when I say that Timothy was a young man, he really was a young man. Later on, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. We have it in, we have two, two of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, first and second Timothy. And in that letter, he told Timothy, he said, don't let the church disrespect you or despise you for your youth. Well, when Paul wrote that letter, that was about 15 years after <laughs> this time. So Timothy was a very young man. He was probably in his late teens. At the latest, he was in his early twenties. So he was a very young man at the time. So when Paul got to Lystra, how, how did he find this young man? It wasn't like he was just standing on the edge of the road waving a sign saying, hey, I'm Timothy, come pick me up. How did Paul find Timothy when he got there? It looks like that he found Timothy through a relationship that he already had with Timothy's mother and grandmother. 
Timothy's mother and grandmother. Many people, and I have probably taught this, and if I've taught this, you know, I... I'm going to back off of that now. There are a lot of people that have taught that Paul is the one who led Timothy to the Lord. Because later on throughout Scripture, Paul calls him his child in the faith. Well, if you do a little bit of a further study on that, Paul calls a lot of people his child in the faith, folks that obviously Scripture says that he didn't lead to the Lord. Here's, here's, what, here's what I think happened. I think... Well, 2 Timothy chapter 1 makes it very clear that Timothy's mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois are the ones that led him to the Lord. So here's what I think happened. I think Lois and Eunice got saved when Paul and Barnabas came through and planted the church in Lystra. They were probably very instrumental in that church being planted there. Now, this is pure speculation, but it could have been that that church even started in their home. That's pure speculation. Don't mark that down as fact and and, and uh, go to seed on it. We don't really know that. Here's what we do know. We do know that Lois and Eunice, the grandmother and the mother, were Jewish. Lois seems to have been a faithful Jew. But Eunice, her daughter, Timothy's mother wasn't really a faithful Jew. She wasn't faithful in following the law. I'm not saying she was a bad person, but she had, didn't follow the Jewish law. And we know that for two reasons. First reason is because she was married to a Gentile. She was married to a Greek man. Now that was forbidden by Jewish law. So she obviously wasn't following the law there. And then second, Timothy was a young man at this time. He was far beyond the age of eight when he was supposed to have been circumcised according to Jewish law. So he hadn't been circumcised. So you can use all those things to say that Timothy's mama was probably a nominal Jew at best, wasn't faithful in following the law. But when she got saved, oh, she was a faithful Christian. She was a faithful Christian. We see that over in 2 Timothy when Paul commends them for pouring, commends Lois and Eunice for uh, for pouring themselves into Timothy and pouring the Scripture into him. I think that from the moment that Lois and Eunice got saved, they started passing on what Paul called their sincere faith into Timothy, and that's how Timothy got saved. His mama and his grandma, grandma led him to the Lord. Here's the progression. Paul and Barnabas led Lois and Eunice to Christ as Timothy's mother as Timothy's grandmother Lois poured her faith into him and as Timothy's mother Eunice poured her faith into him and Timothy by the grace of God got saved So where was Timothy's daddy during all this Notice he's conspicuously absent through all of these stories verse 3 says that that he was a Greek Timothy's daddy was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew like his mama was. That meant that Timothy was biracial. Verse 3 says that they all knew his father was a Greek. 
Now, in the English, it doesn't come out very clear, but in the Greek the text that's behind the English, that the English is translated from, that was is, a, is an imperfect verb, which means that it was something that had happened in the past. Probably the, uh, a translation that would come clear would, would be to say that they all knew that when Timothy's father was still around, he was a Greek. So we know that Timothy's father wasn't around. We don't know why he wasn't around, if he had just left or if he had more than likely died. But here's the thing. Timothy was a biracial young man coming from a single-parent home. That's who this young man was. Now, you can imagine the difficulties that would surround that. But Mama and Grandmama got saved. And they poured the scripture into that young man, and he got saved. Despite those difficulties of his background, despite the difficulties or confusion about his upbringing, whatever those difficulties were, once Timothy got saved, this text says that he had an outstanding reputation in the community. Verse 2 says that he was well spoken of by the brothers. Now, here's what I think is fascinating about that, that word well spoken of there, the original word that that's translated from. Paul only uses that word one other time, and he uses it over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when he lays out the qualifications of a pastor. He says that a pastor is to be well thought of by outsiders. So you can write off in the margin there, you can write off 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7 just for a cross-reference. He says that a pastor is to be well spoken of or well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of a de- snare of the devil. So young Timothy, this new believer from kind of a mixed up home life, in his newfound faith, under the teaching, under the tutelage of his saved mother and saved grandmother, he was already displaying the characteristics of a pastor wasn't he? He was well thought of. He was well spoken of. And Paul recognized that in him. Paul had his eyes open enough to recognize that in him. And when he recognized in that, that in him, he took him under his wing and he began to disciple him. And Timothy became one of Paul's most trusted companions. As you read through the New Testament, as you read through Paul's letters, Timothy is always there. Matter of fact, Timothy became one of the most influential post-apostolic leaders of the early church. Now think about it. When we think about institutions and we think about movements, they're pretty easy to start. They've been pretty easy to start throughout history. Where we run into problems is when those institutions move from the first generation to the second generation. Timothy was the second generation of the church. The first generation, typically, they pour their passion and their energy into starting something. And once it gets started, that first generation pours their blood and sweat and tears into getting it off the ground and into building it and growing it and sustaining it. But eventually, that first generation has to pass it on to a second generation. And oftentimes, that's when an institution will start to lose its, lose its way. Well, the church, you think about the early church, as it moved from the first generation of the apostles into the second generation, that was a tenuous time. That's why Paul had to disciple the second generation. 
That's why he had to disciple Timothy. That's why he had to disciple Timothy to become a disciple maker like Paul was. And that's what happened. You think about it, Timothy went with Paul just about everywhere he went. Later on, Timothy would follow Paul as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, the place where Paul served longest as pastor. And it was during the time that Timothy was pastor of the church at Ephesus that Paul wrote those letters of first and first and second Timothy back to him. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's something you probably didn't know about Timothy. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Timothy also wrote scripture. Do you know that? Well, if you look in the beginning parts of the books of 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, if you look in the first part of each of those letters, Paul says that he co-authored that with Timothy. So Timothy was a co-author of Scripture along with Paul. Now, in, in the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, he gave him some instructions that said, uh, that, that addressed him being timid. He was saying, he was telling Timothy, giving Timothy instructions to be bold. He also told him to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. So we get this picture of Timothy like he was, like he was scared and like he was sickly. I think we've kind of blown that out of proportion. I don't think Timothy was a timid soul at all. When you look at his life, he couldn't have been. To be the bold witness that he was, he couldn't have been timid. The book of Hebrews talks about how to pray for Timothy as he is released from prison. He was imprisoned for his boldness of preaching the gospel. And then once you look outside of Scripture and you look into to some historical documents that we have, we see that Timothy, according to the extra-biblical tradition, we see that Timothy, when he was around 80 years old, was boldly preaching in the streets of Ephesus during one of their most pagan festivals that they had during the year. Just picture it like this. To get it in our mind, it would be as if Timothy was standing right in the middle of Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras and preaching the gospel at 80 years old. Well, they didn't appreciate that. They drug him through the streets. They beat him. And according to history, once they drug him through the streets and mocked him and humiliated him, they ended the journey by stoning him to death. That's how Fox's Book of Martyrs describes the martyrdom of Timothy. Make no doubt about it, Timothy was a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ to the end. And it all started with Paul's faithfulness to make a disciple. If you're a believer here this morning, let me ask you a question. Who are you discipling? I was going to ask you to write it down, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. Just put it in your mind. Who are you discipling? Oh, wait a minute, preacher. That disciple-making stuff, that's for the advanced Christians, right? That's the AP Christianity class. That's for the, that's for the top-notch folks. They're the ones that are supposed to make disciples. Preachers and deacons and you know, those folks are supposed to make disciples. <laughs> really? Where'd you get that idea? It's not in the Bible, because the Bible commands all of us, each of us, 
if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we are saved, then we are called to make disciples. All believers. Think about what Jesus commanded us in Matthew chapter 28. He commanded us, each of us, to make disciples. Then He commanded us to bring those disciples into the fellowship of the church where they can be baptized as a mark, as a picture of what Jesus has done in their life, and then to continue on by teaching them all things that Jesus has commanded us to do. That is the responsibility of each and every believer of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, that is your primary job description. You're to be a Paul to some Timothy out there. So let me ask you, who's your Timothy? You should be able, each of us should be able to. Sadly, I know each of us can't. But each of us should be able to come up with a name or two or three. Today's the day to plan on when I ask you, who's your Timothy, to have somebody come to your mind immediately. Today's the day to plan on making that happen. So following Paul's example with Timothy, here are the top six things you need to do to make that disciple. The first thing that you need to do to make a disciple is you need to be sharing the gospel. Each of us need to be sharing the gospel. Paul, everywhere Paul went, Paul shared Jesus. You remember when Jesus gave the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13? In Matthew chapter 13, that that sower that Jesus talked about, the one who was scattering seeds, he didn't sow seeds like like a farmer or like a smart gardener. A farmer or a smart gardener, they're going to prepare the soil. They're going to, you know, cut rows. I'm not a farmer, but they're going to, you know, cut rows and do all this stuff and prepare the soil and fertilize the soil. And they're only going to put seeds in those places where the soil has been prepared, right? What did Jesus, how did Jesus describe the sower in his parable? That sower scattered seeds everywhere, right? In the good soil, in the rocky soil, in the, the soil with the weeds in it, he even threw seeds on the sidewalk, on the hard-packed soil, didn't he? As a follower of Jesus Christ, each of us is called to sow the gospel everywhere, not just in the easy places, in the hard places. Not just around people who are interested, not just around people who come from good backgrounds, quote, good backgrounds, not just around people you have stuff in common with, but we are called to share the gospel with everywhere, with with everyone, everywhere we go. If God, think about this, if God opens the door, if he blesses you to enter into a conversational relationship with somebody, and by the way, that's the one when you're sitting waiting to get your oil changed or you're sitting in the grocery store and you just have that casual conversation. That is a conversational relationship with somebody. If God blesses you enough to give you a conversational relationship with someone, then he's giving you the opportunity to rescue that person from an eternity in hell. That's how serious this is. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. Share the gospel. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is you need to go where the people are. Paul went where Timothy was, didn't he? It would have been a whole lot more comfortable. You remember Paul had just been beaten and thrown out of 
Lystra and that, that area. It would have been a whole lot easier for him just to hang around in that comfortable church in Antioch, stay there with his friends and buddies, and not have to worry about any of that persecution or any of those kind of things. But no, Paul went outside of the walls of his comfort, of his comfortable church. He went outside of the walls to where Timothy was, even before he knew that Timothy was there. We got to be out there amongst people to make disciples. We got to go where they are. We got to get up off of our pews, walk outside of these doors, and make relationships with people so that we can make disciples. Jesus said, as you are sitting, make disciples. No, he didn't. (laughs) He said, as you are what? Going. Make disciples. Third thing you need to do, you need to overcome your biases and prejudices. Timothy had a great reputation there in Lystra and Iconium, but that didn't change the fact that he had um, kind of a difficult background at best. He, he was biracial. He was fatherless. If you think there's racial prejudice in our time, you don't know what it was like during Timothy's time. During Timothy's time, if you were biracial between Gentile and Jew, between Greek and Jew, the Greeks hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Greeks. Matter of fact, the Jews called Greeks dogs. But even though they called the the Greeks, the Gentiles dogs, they still thought that they were better than biracial. See, if you were biracial, especially in that day, it meant that neither group would put up with you, would like you. And that was the background that Timothy had grown up in. On top of that, Timothy was a very young man who'd been raised by his mother and grandmother. Now, does, for those of you who've been here for a couple of weeks, does that sound familiar? Remember the situation that John Mark came from? You remember how that turned out? See, John Mark had been raised by his mother. And Paul had been burned by John Mark. But Paul overcame. It would have been very easy to say, well, hey, the last time that I messed around with a young man that, that had a difficult upbringing or was raised without a father, I got burned by it. I'm not going to do that again. But he didn't do that, did he? Paul looked at Timothy the same way that Jesus did. He looked at Timothy as an individual who's created in the image of God, who's called and saved by Jesus, who's made holy by Jesus, who his eminent worth is that he's created by God and that he's in the image of God and that he's saved by Jesus, made holy by Jesus, beloved by Jesus. See, bias and prejudice, you can call it whatever you want to, but the Bible calls it sin. And we've got to get over it. You've got to overcome that sin. The fourth thing is you need to open your eyes. Open your eyes. Now, even though our passage doesn't elaborate on it, like I said, Luke is very straightforward in the way that he writes this, but, but Timothy didn't just fall in Paul's lap. Paul had to be looking for him. 
Verse 3 says that Paul wanted, he desired Timothy to accompany him. That was a desire in his heart. Listen to me. I think that one of the reasons that many of you are not making disciples is because you don't really want to. That's harsh, isn't it? But it's true. You're not actively seeking a disciple to make. Men, when was the last time that you asked a a young man if you could take him to lunch? Ladies, when was the last time you asked a young lady over to your house for coffee or tea or, you know, whatever? When was the last time that happened? See, that's where it has to start, isn't it? Open your eyes to the potential discipling relationships around you. In John chapter 4, verse 35, after the woman at the well, after Jesus had witnessed to the woman at the well, and she went over to Sychar, back to her hometown, to witness to the to the people of her past life there, to share the gospel with them. The disciples came up and they sat with Jesus. And they were all looking at their food that they had brought for Jesus. And Jesus tells them, he says, in verse 35 of chapter 4, he says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. Oh, folks, we got to lift up our eyes. Disciple-making opportunities are all around us. Fifth, fifth thing you need to do is you need to extend a trust where trust hasn't been earned. Like I said, remember, Paul had just been burned by John Mark. He just invested in him. They'd taken him part of the way. And then along the way, he said, nah, I'm tired of this. I got to go home. So all of the money and the time that they had invested in John Mark was, was, was gone. And through that, through that, that caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas, these two partners in the gospel, and it caused them to split. So Paul had been burned by his relationship with John Mark. It would have been understandable for him to say, look, I'm not going to get burned by some young guy again. I, you know, fool me once, right? I'm not going to be burned again. But rather than take John Mark's baggage and place that on Timothy, Paul trusted Timothy enough to want to bring him along. He extended trust where trust hadn't been earned yet. He didn't have to be have his arm twisted. He wanted to do it. Now, could Paul be guaranteed that Timothy wasn't going to do the exact same thing that John Mark did? You know, get over across the mountain and Timothy would want to bail and go home? No, he couldn't have been guaranteed that, could he? But he trusted him anyway. When he had absolutely no more reason to trust him than he had to trust John Mark earlier. Listen, don't let your baggage... Or somebody else's baggage keep you from making disciples. Well, you know, the last time that I tried to build a relationship with somebody, they bailed on me, or they betrayed me, or they hurt me. That was then. Don't take that baggage and put it on somebody else. Don't let the temporary heartbreak of a John Mark keep you from the lifelong blessing of a Timothy. 
extend trust where trust hasn't been earned. Finally, you need to invest. If you're a man, you need to invest in young men. If you're a lady, you need to invest in young ladies. You know, Paul's first priority, there's no doubt when you read throughout Paul's writings, there's no doubt that Paul's first priority was prayer and the ministry of the Word. But right behind that was investing, was was the, the priority that he placed on investing in young men like Timothy. As you read Paul's letters throughout the New Testament, there's always lists and lists and lists of all of these young men that most of them we don't know anything about. But Paul is giving greetings. Paul's talking about how they came along with him, whatever. It's a consistent, constant theme of Paul's life that he was investing in young men. Now, because Paul and Timothy were men, I keep talking. I've talked all through this message in the masculine, but ladies, (laughs) this applies to you too. Ladies, are you pouring your lives into younger ladies? Now, when I'm saying pouring your lives into younger ladies, I'm not saying for us to, you know, ladies sit around and say, well, she's not younger than me. I'm younger than she is. So I'm not saying to compare ourselves that way. I'm talking about people who are maybe not even as they they might be older in age, but not necessarily older in wisdom or more mature or more spiritually more mature. You think about our community. And the more that we get out into our community, the more that we get involved in our schools, the more we should realize, the more it should open our eyes to all of the brokenness in our community. All of the broken homes in our community. Some folks come from homes that have been broken for generations. Now, if you come from a home that has been broken for generations. How in the world are you going to learn how to be a godly young man or a godly young lady if your parents and grandparents and even great-grandparents are so messed up that they can't show you? How are they going to do it? Are we going to write them off and send them and let the government take care of them? I hope not. We have to do that. I know you're busy. I can, I, the reason I can hear the excuses going around in your head is because I make the same excuses, okay? I know you're busy. Guess what? Newsflash. Everybody's busy. Paul was pretty busy, wasn't he? Everybody's busy. But we all make time for our priorities, don't we? Whatever's most important to us, we're going to make time for. Disciple-making is a priority. And that priority will reap eternal benefits. If you're wanting to know how to set the priorities in your life, set your priorities based on what's going to make the most impact, the most lasting impact. Disciple-making will make an eternal impact in your life. Men invest in young men. Ladies, invest in younger ladies. Now, you've heard me say it many times, but every one of us in here needs a Paul. Every one of us in here needs a Timothy. Everyone in here needs a Barnabas. We haven't talked about Barnabas this morning, but Barnabas is the one who comes alongside to encourage. Every one of us needs an encourager. Everyone 
in here needs someone who's just a little bit farther down that spiritual journey to bring us along with them. And every one of us needs somebody who's coming along behind that we bring with us. We need a Timothy. You need somebody to disciple. You need, you need somebody to encourage you. And you need somebody to disciple. So once again, if you're a believer in here, I'm going to ask you the question for the third time. Who are you discipling? It's not an optional track for advanced Christians. It's for all of us. So, today's the day to get on that track. Based on the model of Paul discipling Timothy, I've given you six things that you need to do to make that happen. But that's not where it starts. It can't start with, okay, I've written down these six things, so I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to try really hard to do this. That's not where this starts. It can't start with your own resolve or your own determination to make it happen. No, disciple-making is a supernatural task. It's not something that you can work up in yourself. It can only happen if you're in Christ working in the power of the Holy Spirit. The the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, that can only happen because Jesus said that he is with us even to the end of the age. Acts 1-8 can only happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given us. So here's where you have to start. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Have you trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior of your life? If you haven't, then the first place that you need to start is by following Him. Follow Him by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Follow Him by professing your faith in the waters of baptism. And then follow Him by making disciples of your own. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus here this morning, then the next step for you is pray. Spend some time today in prayer. Pray for the willingness to make disciples. Pray for the opportunity to make disciples. And pray for the boldness. Because when you pray for those, God's going to give you opportunities. Amen? So you've got to pray for the boldness to take the opportunities when God gives them to you. So your first step, believer, is to pray. Pray. And we're going to start that prayer right now. Father, I know that the last thing that you want us to do is to leave here with a list of things that we can check off to see whether we're being a good Christian or being a bad Christian. Father, you don't operate by checkmark lists. You operate on the basis of grace. So, Father, out of the grace that you have poured out on us, oh, Father, may we respond in joyful obedience. Father, it's not like that you're asking us to do some impossibly difficult task. You're just telling us to share the good news that Jesus saves. The fact that you have, you have bought us back, you have redeemed us, you have saved us from your wrath. You've given us new life in you. You filled us with the joy of your presence. 
You've given us power and victory over sin in our lives. Oh, Father, how can we not be so full that we overflow with sharing the gospel with others? Oh, God, forgive us when we make this thing so complicated. Because all of those complications are just an excuse. Oh, God, would you give each of us the desire to make disciples? Father, would you give each of us the opportunity to make disciples? And Father, would you give each of us the boldness to make disciples? Now, Father, if there's one here who is not a disciple of Jesus, Lord, would your Spirit convict them? Would your Spirit draw them? And Father, would you give them the boldness to respond to your call? In Jesus' precious name, amen.